This is going to be out tomorrow. I'm Keelan Harrington, and my guest today is Eddie Enver. Eddie, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me on, Keelan. So for the people listening, why don't you introduce yourself and touch on the main areas of focus of your life story, because it is an incredible one in its own right. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, so my name's Eddie Enver. Um, I'm from Perth, Western Australia. Uh, I'm a health professional. I'm a naturopath, um, also a meditation teacher and breathwork coach. Um, and my niche, I suppose, within my naturopathic um, practice is around oncology care, so cancer care, and that, that sort of came out of my own journey with cancer. So in 2013, I got diagnosed. It was uh, 10 days before Christmas, which was not pleasant. Um, so I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, and so essentially that changed my life forever. Uh, that sent my trajectory from that point on down a, you know, a two years of fighting for my life. Um, I had three relapses in two years and became you know, very, very close to checking out. I had very advanced stage uh, four cancer, uh, which means it's riddled throughout your body. Um, I was chemotherapy resistant, so the drugs weren't really working, which didn't make sense because um, testicular cancer is the most treatable cancer you can get. They have very high success rates with like usually first treatment. So they have like maybe a 94, 96% success rate with the first line treatment, it's called. Um, yet here I was two years later, three relapses, the drugs weren't working and they had no idea what to do. So, um, you know, I had to make some really big changes to my life and the way that I also sort of interacted with my life, had to go overseas and do some overseas treatments uh, to get myself well, um, and that happened. Um, I was very, very lucky. I had a successful outcome eventually, but it took a lot of hard work to get there, and I've been there yeah, almost six years now. So um, it was a rocky road. It was it, it was very much a journey, but um, I survived it, and now so a big part of what I do is I give back and I support people through cancer. Um, I support them emotionally and also with nutritional medicine, herbal medicine, just to help them get you know, the best outcome possible and to you know, tread that journey as smoothly as possible as well. Um, so, yeah, in, in short, that's sort of a very short version of you know, where I've been and where I am now. I just want to back up for one second. Uh, apart from the fact that you went through that, had three relapses and... Obviously, it dramatically put the brakes on life and caused you to do a huge recalibration. But yeah. you said that you weren't responding to some of the treatments. Uh, do you know why that was? And has that got something to do with the line of work you're in now? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, it's everything to do with the line of work that I, I do. So as I said, testicular cancer is really treatable. Like out of the maybe 200-odd cancers that you could be diagnosed with, there's a, a handful that can be actually cured like a literal handful, and testicular is on the top of that pile. Um, so it wasn't making sense. My oncologists, uh, the cancer doctors, they couldn't understand. You know, I should have responded. You know, it was relatively early stage when I was first diagnosed. Um, but then six months later, it was back and it spread from obviously the testy up into the abdomen. Um, so I had treatment and then it was gone. But then three months later, it was back again. Uh, treatment again, gone, and back again three months later, and it just wasn't making any sense. And um, it was at that point that I had to really take a step back and look at, you know, what am I doing wrong here? Because I'm doing what was prescribed to me. I was doing the right oncology treatment, so the, the chemotherapy. Um, you know, I had skills as a naturopath in nutritional medicine and, you know, with herbal medicine, so supplements and things. So I knew how to combine them well to not interfere with the uh, the chemotherapy so I knew I supported myself physically the best that I could 
but it was at that point I really had to just go like, what am I missing? And it became really apparent that um, it wasn't what I was doing was the problem. Um, it was the way that I was doing it was the problem. So I was still under bucket load stress. So, you know, big <laughs> common theme in my life has been really high stress levels. Um, and obviously mm. the cancer journey is very stressful anyway. Um, but my life at that point was, you know, it's pretty out of whack. I, I had a large health center. So I had a big health center with 15 practitioners. So everything from you know, chiropractors to psychologists to naturopath, massage therapists, you name it, we, we sort of had it. Had a yoga hall, cafe, a shop, and I was essentially a, a single operator trying to do it all myself. So managing everything and you know, business owners out there will understand when you're wearing all the different hats that you could, could have, you know, scrubbing toilets, mowing lawns, fixing guttering, you know, renovating, mm. put cafes in, bookkeeping, marketing, plus trying to consult. You know, I was doing a lot and I was feeling really unfulfilled. It was that whole feeling like a, a jack of all trade master and none and just feeling really unfulfilled in that. So everyone from the outside, I would have looked at you cool as a cucumber, a very calm sort of position but inside was a, a totally different kettle of fish. so you know inside was really turbulent and that was the problem you know it was i was in my own way um you know that chemistry of stress which is what i talk about a lot with my my patients in my my courses and stuff that i do was really potent within me and you know it was creating a huge barrier to getting well yeah you know, i wasn't creating an environment within my life that was conducive to getting well they're trying to almost mm. force my body to get well and it's just like the environment needs to be you know conducive to the outcome if you want the outcome and it just wasn't so it was at that point that i had to really just go oh geez sort of missing the point here um and so i had to make some really big changes you know change life very drastically it wasn't the only thing you know i I'd, I'd, you know i don't want to you know listeners to think that it was just get my stress levels down and I got well. That was a critical part, but I had to also then combine it with some other treatments when I traveled overseas. Um, and it was that perfect synergy that came together that got me well. But I I know inside of me, if I didn't change my stressful environment, I don't think I would have got well. I wouldn't be sitting here. You know, I was very close to, to checking out anyway. So, um, yeah. So that's really, you know, the big focus in my career now and my, my sort of personal mission is to really educate people on, the role of chronic persistent stress and how that influences our, our health, our happiness, and also our healing outcomes, because um, it's not really taken seriously. So, you know, I really enjoy, and it gives me a lot of a lot of purposeful meaning in my my career to be able to help people understand this and give them some skill set to deal with it better. You now, the skills that I learned through the process. So, yeah, to answer your question, it was it was stress that was really blocking me, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so, by the sound of his Stress was the main focus. How much would you attribute towards diet in the lead yeah. up? Because what I got is you were a naturopath at that point in time. I was, yes. Yeah. 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 Listen, my personal views and what I've learned. Uh, so now that I work with cancer patients, I've worked with you know hundreds, if not thousands, of, of patients. Well, definitely thousands of patients, hundreds and hundreds of cancer patients. You know, I've seen people do some pretty drastic dietary changes. You know, and I was doing some pretty drastic stuff as well. But I've seen it not work. You know, because of something like like um, like stress was in the way. So, you know, I, a big thing that I always say is, you know, it's not always about trying to force your body to heal with changing diets and medicines and supplements. Sometimes the more important question is not what you put into the body, it's 
actually what you remove from the body or the roadblocks that are actually in the way. And so yeah, I did lots of really, really strict dietary regimes when I was unwell and it wasn't enough. Um, I'm not saying you don't do that. It's absolutely critical to change the chemistry that you're feeding yourself you know, you know, through your mouth, but also through your thoughts and you know, the way you breathe, everything. Um, but it's not the magic pill. Yeah, it's always like the body's an amazing system. And if you look at like, I have an athletic background with sports and running and strongman. So nutrition is something that I have an idea about. Yeah. I thought I had a great idea about it 10 years ago. And then you learn more and you learn how much you don't know. So it's a constant upskill of things. But it does strike me as incredible how the norm of quote unquote healthy eating is really not healthy and the body has an amazing ability to extract what it needs from this crap and still keep going but eventually it's kind of like um it's kind of like if you give a toddler a, a canvas and they're painting on it and then you give it to an artist and you're like hey i want you to make something nice of it you can only do so much to fix the damage that's there already and, and like that the body will only go so far until it yeah. gives you that wake-up call yeah. but what's interesting to me is you are obviously very hell conscious because of being a naturopath so that side of it wasn't there yeah so it really boils down to the to the stress thing and i guess i've got two questions that come to my mind one I heard this, uh, I read this in studies years ago, and I'm really having to pull it out the back of my head now. But, uh, it was something like there are two species of that, that don't um, have cancer. I think it's a pigeon and a type of whale. Okay. I could be open to correction on that, yeah, but I, essentially I because that it sounds pretty interesting though. Okay. What's that? Yeah, I, I haven't read that or, or heard that, but yeah, go on. Well, the link that I heard in the situation was, and this is when I did a lot of research on ketogenic diets, okay. it was, you know, with low carb, low sugar intake, um, essentially, and I'm summarizing a very long uh, study down to a short point here with you, but that there was a direct link seen with the fact that in these species where there was no carbon sugar intake, they never suffered from cancer. With other research papers with dietary changes in people, there was a direct correlation and a link seen. Now, I don't know much more about it beyond that. I'm just wondering, have you got anything you could uh, add to that or shed yeah, some light sure, on it for, the, sure. you know, for me? It's so easy you know, to when someone's diagnosed to go looking for magic pills and whether that's in a diet or a practitioner or a supplement or a herb, you know, from the, from the Amazon or something like that. Um, and I always say to people, it's a really unwise move to stick all your eggs into to one basket. You know, diet plays an absolutely crucial role in human health because end of the day, it's chemistry and that chemistry enters the body and changes your chemistry. And so that can either, you know, help healing or hinder healing. And there's, there's so many different, you know, theories on diet, you know, dietary regimes and, and cancer and how to support someone through that. And I don't think there's a one size fits all. No, there's certain cancers that you wouldn't do ketogenic for, um, like a breast cancer, because these ketones act like uh, what are called xenoestrogens, which are foreign estrogens, which in some forms of breast cancer, they're fueled by the hormones, estrogen and progesterone. So you obviously don't want to take anything in the diet that then adds to that load, which is fueling the cancer. So for breast cancer, ketogenic sometimes isn't the best um, idea. And then you've got like super low protein diets that are like fasting mimicking diets, which I, I tend to do a lot with, which are very, very low protein cycled on and off from super low protein to, to quite high protein and how that influences the cancer. So 
then you've got you know people that just go whole food plant-based eating like a vegan type diet um and you know people can get results on all the diets you know there's beautiful books written you know like uh there's one called radical remission by dr kelly a turner she's a phd scientist who studies these people that have these phenomenal outcomes when they're really written off um and she wanted to understand now what are they doing you know they must be eating something common or there must be commonalities and that's what her book's about is you know 100 case studies of people that got very very unwell shouldn't have survived but did you know in phenomenal sort of circumstances and she came up with these these tenets of you know why she believes these people came out well and they were all one of the tenets was you know drastic dietary change but they all followed different diets they weren't all following the same thing you know they were all finding meaning and purpose within their diagnosis and changing their lives you know there was more love and intimacy and connection in their lives were all the sort of the common threads but it the beauty of the book it showed that it wasn't one thing there was you know it was uh the synergy of lots of these changes but they were big changes they were changing the chemistry of your life in a dramatic way you know what you eat what you breathe how you think who you relate with the the jobs you do and the, the stress loads and all this stuff um but it wasn't one diet um and so i've seen people get well on lots of different diets with, with cancers so um you know, it's a really, really hard question to answer. And it's a fascinating one because there's so many books and all of it and everyone thinks that this is the way you're going to do it. And I think you've got to look at that person. You know, I could have the most therapeutic diet, you know, something like a super strict, let's say, methionine-restricted diet, which is a, low, a special form of low-protein diet. But if that person can't stick to it um, like sustainably, then it's no good to them. Um, and I think... Mm. You know, you get someone, then you ease up on it and just go, oh, let's just try a whole food plant-based diet or something like that. And they go, yeah, I can do that. And, and you know, if they can believe in it and they really believe in it, they pin their ears back and they go for it, even the placebo effect of just totally believing in what they're doing is super powerful. So, so many ways to skin a cat. Um, and I don't think there's one dietary regime that suits. It's really got to look at from an individual to individual basis. Yeah, well, I guess like many things in life, you know, say as a human being to function in the world, we have to make sure that we're mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually happy. And uh, like what you said about putting your eggs into one basket, you, you, you don't, well, you can have a huge period of time where you focus on those one areas for a while and then what you'll notice as the years go on is you'll then look at the other area and you'll expand uh, maybe some people don't and uh, i wouldn't even say that's right or wrong that's just some people are perhaps happy but it's about finding that way to live in a broader context as a whole rounded human being and i would say from listening to what you said that the idea of treating whatever cancer you have or sicknesses or ailments, you really have to have that whole picture taken into account and, you know, go, okay, what am I doing? What's my lifestyle like? Oh, I'm going to have this diet. That means pre-cooking my meals. Oh, what? Yeah. And again, it's your choice to do whatever, but that, for someone, they might be like, ah, oh, I don't have time to do that. Or, you know, rightly or wrongly, they're not going to do it. So you're trying to look at it from a different vantage point to yeah. get what's right for them across the line. So yeah, absolutely do. Yeah, that's um, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, sorry. Not to put your eggs in one basket. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it, it is. There's 
it's the easy way to think there's just one aspect of health, you know, just focus on physical health or the aesthetics or whatever it might be. But um, like you say, you start off that, you know, you're a teenager and you know, you want the, the six-pack abs or the bikini body or whatever it is, and you go full on at the gym and you do that. And then I suppose with maturity, you realise that health maybe isn't just physical health and, you know, mental, emotional health can suffer even with the, the best bod, you know, the strongest person. You know, you may have seen this within your, you know, I guarantee you've probably seen this in your career, you know, the athlete professional athletes seeing people that look amazing yet you know, emotionally you know they, they could be a total mess um so you know, it expands and to look at people from a holistic point is really really important because you know these levels of health all interact you affect one you affect the other but it's when you're in your prime yeah it doesn't you know it may not be as obvious but as the, the old body ages it gets a little bit weaker so that's why it's important to, to keep on top of your health and there's nothing like a a diagnosis of a chronic disease, whether that be cancer or autoimmune condition, that's a, a wake-up call and a knock at a door that gets people's lives together. Not everyone, yeah. but most people, it's the wake-up call sometimes that they need. Hey, um, They don't realise until they're unwell that they needed to get well. It's, it's yeah, I've seen mm -hmm. phenomenal turnarounds and people's lives change from getting unwell and there's sort of like this hidden blessing in there sometimes if people are willing to look for it. You just said uh, about the athletes and needing a wake-up call and a conversation I had with somebody in the last few days. I kind of put forward the idea. Now, you, you can't tarnish everybody with the same brush, but I put forward the idea that most professional athletes, if you're really dedicated towards training, the weightlifting, uh, martial arts, and there's a certain level where... This was a strongman I was talking to, and the thing that we ended up agreeing was that uh, the reason why a lot of people start this is perhaps from something unhealthy, a coping mechanism and a yeah, pattern, yeah, yeah. Um, and it goes very extreme. But the art of repetition and becoming disciplined and regimented, if you go do the inner work and ask the question, well, why did I start doing this? Yeah. And now why do I continue to do it? It can cause this uh, mental recalibration to go, okay, well, so I started from a bad place. Now I've learned this skill set and these new tools. And even though you continue in the sport, it turns into a more healthy reason. So you yeah. can have a, a team of 16 guys yeah. And they're doing the same thing, and it kind of revolves around sometimes it's not what you do, but why you do it is important. Yeah. Yeah. And that really was highlighted in our conversation. So, when you're on about bodies being in tip top shape, but then emotionally not being in a good place, mm -hmm. which causes then physical ailments, injury, stresses, back aches, cancers, etc., mm -hmm. makes perfect sense because if you don't address this, like in some form or fashion, it does come and catch up one day somewhere somehow so yeah. it was really interesting i only had that conversation yeah i'm um i'm working with a guy you know many of your listeners probably know uh, about dr gabor mate he's a uh a, a retired physician from canada and hungarian guy um absolute legend you know he's in his 70s he's just one of the true physicians on the planet and just a, a really tuned in cat so i'm doing a, a year-long course with him in his um psychotherapeutic style called compassion inquiry and a the real core of that work is around trauma okay and it's usually early childhood trauma but it's it's all to do with also the coping strategies and it's interesting that you mentioned this um, the coping strategies that you know that child picks up which then drives their behaviors which can echo throughout their whole life if they don't become aware of it and what you said about you know 
the intention, you know, why are you doing this? You know, are you doing this to prove this to dad or prove this to someone else or whatever it might be? And, and like you say, you can start with this un potentially depends which way you look at it, maybe an unhealthy sort of drive as a coping strategy. But then, like you say, those skills that you learn through that that, that commitment and obviously pushing yourself and developing that that psychological you know, and physiological resilience through all that training that you have to do, you know, it, it can turn, it can switch, especially if you're around the right crew and you're talking about this and you're raising awareness of those deeper aspects, if you're working with yourself, that inner work, you know, it can flip, can't it? Um, so that's that's really cool that you, you mentioned that because that's where I'm at at the moment with a lot of my professional careers, really looking into this, you know, early childhood experiences and how this shapes the rest of our lives. Well, again, it's interesting that you mentioned that because only last night I was having a really good conversation with some people that um, I don't want to say too much because they're fairly high profile. But basically what made me click with them and reach out and start the conversation was they, they, they took a stand for something that they really believed in with conviction. And I find that almost almost rare to see in this day and age because people go so far out of their way to remain neutral not to offend anybody and once i understand that that comes from a good uh, intention perhaps in ideology it's caused this thing where i won't say you don't know where you stand with people but you know when i see somebody stand for something right or wrong perhaps maybe goes out of the equation but i see they've got conviction and i respect that because it takes a lot of courage to go against the dominant thinking of close family friends colleagues to step out of that label and out of your comfort zone to exercise that and we were having the conversation about moms and dads and what we kind of boiled down to and obviously you know a great deal about this and what you're doing but it is the whole you know the patterns repeat themselves you know and then parents tend to also live perhaps vicariously through their children of the road not taken and all those stresses and pressures and expectations that get put on them and you know they don't even have time to figure out their why because before they know it they've gone from school to job to phase to i don't know marry 2.4 children white picket fence when and they're an accountant and you sit down you're like hey when you were seven what did you want to do i wanted to be a fireman well what happened i don't know and it's like wow it's like you know that you you have to stifle and betray and cripple a part of you to live a life that's not meant for you when your answers are that far apart. No, no, and I don't mean to say you can't be happy and that you haven't learned things and adjusted. So to anybody listening now that's going, well, I'm an accountant and I wanted to be a fireman and I'm happy. <laughs> I'm not offending people in that way. But it's just interesting because I would say a lot of the time, and I don't know if you agree and well, most people don't, but I would always put it down to accountability. I think a lot of parents mess up their kids and as a result, uh, accountability leadership and discipline is lost and when i say leadership i kind of mean acting out by example and as a result that whole why gets completely lost and i don't know if this was your experience or not but when you said uh, your sickness came around for, because of stress and having all that pressure on you i know what that feels like in the sense of you know living this life under enormous stress i call this uh, my old life my quiet life of desperation and then there's this thing that happened for me it was a different wake-up call it, it wasn't like what you had been diagnosed but life changed it ground to a halt and i really had to assess where i was and why things were happening 
And there's this thing when you just stop giving a shit, to put it mild. Not about yourself, but just about, I don't know, the persona or the, I have to keep doing this to, I don't know, keep the neighbor happy or your mother or your father. When you just get to the stage where you're like, no, if I keep going down this road, I'm not going to be here. Whether it's mental health, physical health, if you're just like, no, and you stop. You get that breath of fresh air and you can finally take a look at things for what they are rather than how someone else has wanted them to be for you. And that flick is, for me, was an important one to learn because I've ended up in situations that I would consider on the face probably more high pressured, but I sleep sound at night because I'm not attached to the outcome or someone else's expectancy. Does that make sense to you? What do you think about that? Yeah, listen. That it's really, really good point, and it's a, you know, it's a great segue into something that came into me when you were saying that. Is you know, we're all under stress. You know, we all have stress. It's a stressful world, particularly at the moment. Um, and you know, if if stress equaled cancer or stress equaled disease, then everyone would be crook, and they're not. So you know, what's the difference between someone who gets unwell with stress and someone that doesn't? And it's really to do with how we interact with stress. And so, you know, what I've learned from my own journey and also, you know, counseling hundreds of cancer patients and thousands of really chronically unwell patients is when you start to hear their biographies and their stories, you start to see how they start, they are interacting with stress. And the common theme is it's the way that they are not expressing their stress. So how are they dealing with that chemistry of stress that builds up? So all those stress hormones like cortisol, adrenaline, and all these inflammatory cytokines, chemicals that flare the body up, are they expending them? through you know, exercise, through art, through talking, through expression. Breathing techniques. Oh, yeah, breathing techniques, breath work, whatever it is, you know, they've got a healthy expression. Journaling, you know, outside of their body, they get the stress out. Whereas the, the people that tend to get unwell, the very the beautiful people, the sensitive people, but it's that's the problem is that they don't want to hurt people's feelings. And this is a coping strategy, which goes back to the multi-generational nature of trauma and stress, which we you talked about at the, the start there. Um, and they've learned from an early age to zip it and to, to internalize their stress. And this is what I did. And this is what so many, I reckon out of the people that I see, they're really, really unwell people. It's probably about 80%, 80, 85%, something like that. They all have this, this coping strategy of internalization. So the face says, happy, happy, joy, joy. Inside says, shitty, shitty, man, bang. Like it's, it's just a, a boiling pot inside of them, yet they look fine and now, this is, you know, usually when, once I counsel them and we really dive into their biography, it's a learned behavior. You know, we learn stress from our parents and depending on the environments we were raised in, it may not have been safe to express our emotions because we had an alcoholic father or a rager or a, you know, something. You know, there wasn't someone there to be able to hold our emotions for whatever reason. You know, they may have been, mm-hmm. you know, alcoholic because they too were dealing with their pain. And this is the multi-generation generational nature of uh, trauma and stress but they weren't there able to hold that child you know uh, with their emotions and what was going on within that family dynamic so they learned to bury it and that becomes a lifeline strategy until you become aware of it um, and then you can start to, to change it but many many people you know unaware of it so they continue to do that and just keep swallowing down and swallowing down and this is how it starts to impact us you know this stress is a really powerful chemistry and it doesn't take much to muck your hormones up, to suppress your immune system, to cause havoc within the body. And if it's done enough over a longer period of time, or let's say then you don't look after your diet. So you're not getting that nutrition, which is almost like offsetting that stress. Um, and then it bites you in the bum. 
because stress affects us directly in the body, but it indirectly affects us by, you know, affecting our mind, our mental, emotional health. And the mind is what chooses to, what to put on the plate or how much to rest or how much to socially interact, all these decisions, the mind makes that and stress affects that. So, you know, it's a big deal. And that's why I'm really passionate about, you know, raising awareness of it and giving people techniques and you know skill sets to be able to deal with it better but that that seems to be the kicker is how we actually interact with stress as opposed to stress equals unwell what uh, what i find really interesting on that one is you said yeah, how to interact with it. I don't think people give the time to let the things come up. So you, you go back to generational patterns. I've seen that from a mile away. I've experienced it myself as well as I see it in other people. And I've seen the whole um, the whole system play out where superficial happiness, externalize it outside of oneself, buy that car, buy that house, do this, distract, distract, distract. And that loops its own little stress pattern because now you got to make enough money to pay the bills to clear a day off so you can have the weekend off to take the pressure off the other five days of a life you don't like living and so on and so forth. And when you get to that stage where you do ask that question, why am I doing this? It brings to the forefront uh, an almost shocking reality and i don't think some people are equipped to handle this especially if it starts back at trauma and childhood like what you touched on because you learn tools and techniques as that child to survive through that whatever it is you know it could be abuse it could be the alcoholic father and those same tools and techniques when you turn 25 you know, what you need is laser precision cutting machines to get to the next level. And what you have is a hammer and a chisel and you're a knuckle dragging Neanderthal, you know, because those same tools and techniques aren't the ones that are going to get you from where you are to where you need to be, you know, but that realization, it's shocking. Like I, that that is something that happened with me. I was just a, you know, fuck what, what am I doing? And when you are confronted with that reality, that can be very hard. And I think, you have to betray yourself. I don't think there's a person listening. If they've resonated with any part of this conversation, there isn't a person listening that doesn't know that that voice has come up and they know they need to go to a rock pile in the corner and start from ground zero. And that is the scary, scary part because you're like, oh, no. So what kind of one bit of advice could you give somebody to combat that realization moment? You obviously had it. How did you get over it? Yeah, it's, it's a huge one. You know, you realize that you're not who you thought you were. You know, these coping strategies, these layers that are on top of that essential true nature of, you know, who you truly are. You know, it's scary to, to touch on that and to realize, hang on, I'm not this, I'm not these coping strategies, I'm not the job, I'm not the suit, I'm not the whatever, the whatever, you know, the naturopath, the, mm-hmm. you know, the athlete. Um, who am I? You know, that's... Um, that's scary. So, you know, my advice is, you know, you need support to do that, you know, connection and community. So finding the right people that can help guide you on that, that journey back to self, you know, which is an inner journey, you know, which is, is spending time with yourself and maybe learning skill sets like breathing work or meditation work or, or spending time with, with people or even like professional help, you know, psychologists, counselors, you know, all different sorts of therapists that can help you to, to unpack this and realize who you've become. And that's really scary. That's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is just really freaking exciting too. Just like, wow, who am I? Or who can I be? Um, what can mm. I create? 
that's that's the flip side of that. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. My advice it, is to take help. it's not what happens to you; it's what you interpret happens to you on the side of you know instead of looking at it as scary, like you said, it's like well, who can I be? It's like opportunity and. It is down to how you decide to perceive it. Half glass, or you know, is, is the glass half empty or half full? And can, can you just explain, uh, if you can, because it's something in the back of my head with the likes of some of the breath work, and you want about expelling the stress from your body. So, because there's some people and they hear breath work, breathing, and and if you're anything like I was ten years ago, you'd go, yeah, yeah, hippie ass stuff, whatever, blah 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 blah. You know, the whole kind of thing. Whereas obviously. I have come to learn a little bit more and uh, broaden my horizons. So, you know, in terms of um, the stress hormones that build up and how you expel them, you know, I know things like, you know, practicing lion's breath and you feel the saliva build up and you're expelling that. Can you get into that just a little bit for for context for for people? Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of people, they say, you know, well, I breathe, you know, it's just breathing. Yeah, but it's not breathing. Um, you know, there's ways to breathe properly and there's ways to, to have really dysfunctional breathing patterns. And most people do because we're in some level of this chronic persistent stress, the, the, the breath changes, you know, our breath is changing. And the beautiful thing about our breathing apparatus is that it's under usually unconscious control. So the autonomic nervous system, which is like the automatic nervous system is driving it for us, but we can actually take charge of it if we want to. You know, it's a very unique system within the body. We can't do that with our hormones. We can't do that with our immune system, really. You know, um, but this one we can. We can go, oh, hang on, I'm going to drive the bus, thank you. And we can change our breathing patterns. And so there's different styles of breath work. There's lots out there. And you know, you, everyone's heard of you know, Wim Hof. And you know, you've got Patrick McEwen out there doing his thing as well. You know, there's Dan Brelay with his. Um, and there's many different styles. And essentially you've got some styles which stimulate the body and build the body up and it puts your body into a low level stress response something like the Wim Hof um, breathing technique and then you've got more calming styles which then do the opposite it it doesn't stimulate the body it actually calms it down and it's the way that we interact with our nervous system so there's a part of the nervous system which drives and stimulates the body called the sympathetic nervous system and then there's this calming part of us or calming nervous system called the parasympathetic it's like the brake instead of the accelerator we can choose to put our foot on the brake and by slowing the breath down you know through the you know, nasal breathing ideally if you can slowing the breath down you know maybe five seconds in eight seconds out and focusing on a really long out breath we start to calm the body and induce what's called the relaxation response which is the opposite of fight or flight so depending on how you breathe you can put yourself into fight or flight and that has some benefit you know short-term stresses are great for us you know, these hormetic stresses like Wim Hof, like ice bathing, like uh, intermittent training, all these things that give us a short dose of stress are really great for us. Um, uh, it's, it's the, when I talk about stress and um, whether it's a poison or a medicine, it's the dose that makes it a poison or medicine. So short, short amounts are great for us, long amounts, not so good for us. So when we change our breath, we can induce this relaxation response. And it's a really beneficial thing. And that calms the body down. It decreases the amount of adrenaline cortisol being produced. And it's just one technique that can help us manage our stress, the chemistry of stress, much, much better. And it can also help to train us for when the next stress comes in. We might just catch ourselves in that stress and, and deal with it a bit better. So you know, we're not going to stop stressful things happening. What we can do is change our relationship to it and our reactions and our responses. And a breath is, the breath is a beautiful way to do that. Notice what happens to the breath when you're stressed. Now it goes short, sharp, shallow, and faster. That gear you up for fighting, for action, fight, flight. Um, mm. We want to catch that and then slow it down. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's funny you mentioned the Hoff method. Uh, do you know my connection to Marcel and Wim Hof? Uh, I don't, but I know Marcel as well. So we have a uh, you know, common friend. Okay, there. yeah. So yeah. I um, I connected with Marcel and Wim's brother. So Marcel and Wim, you know, are the originators of the Hoff method and so on and so forth. And then Wim obviously brought the notoriety to it. Yes. So I met Marcel, oh, I suppose it's a year ago now, in Australia, in Perth, yeah. actually. Yeah. And uh, I was just after doing an event. I ran 900 miles in eight weeks. I ran 100 miles every Monday, did that for seven weeks in a row. And then I did a 200 miler and finished. And I learned a lot in that. I learned a lot of what not to do, speaking of stress on the body and so on and so forth. And, but it was a great learning curve mentally, physically, emotionally, in so many ways, you know. Uh, but anyway, that brought me to... Uh, taking and adopting the methods of breathing techniques, which is something I um, traipsed on the edges of, but never got into in a massive way. And anyway, I decided that I would take on the record for the longest time submerged in ice with full body contact. So that's something I'm getting ready to do now. So when you're on a nice. boat doing the uh, yeah. breath work and stimulating the body and take control of the system, it's like even... Yeah, as part of the practice, uh, yesterday I was swimming in the ocean here, and it's like down to one or two degrees, you know, just yeah. nice and cold. But like yeah. that, from being a couple of weeks back into training and really focusing on it, you know, it's amazing. Like the first day I started back going in, it was like, oh, my God, this feels horrible. Whereas, you know, <laughs> I bring it to yesterday, it's like no problem. Just finish the hike, you know, yeah. jump in, go for a swim, 10 minutes, no problem at all. It's just awesome. like even drying off. The body's not um, in any stress or pressure. And just that that has changed just by a series of breath work and taking control of that system. Yeah. If you would have said that to me five years ago, yeah. it would have just gone over my head. You know, I would have yeah. thought, yeah, yeah, whatever. Hippie, hippie stuff, you know, in my, my more naive uh, mind. So it is amazing. Like I have experienced firsthand having gone from not understanding any of it to seeing the effects of it in, in a huge way, in a huge way, in a huge way. So there we go. We got that kind of a connection, which is uh, sure, yeah, good sure. to know. Marcel's Marcel's been up in uh, I run ice bathing courses so I run something called cold stress resilience training which is throwing people into ice bath teaching them how to first before I throw them in um, how to control the breath how to control the mind for when you're in there it's a training tool and you know as you've experienced the ice or the cold is a, an amazing teacher and it really shows you your ability to control your nervous systems. Those nervous systems I talked about, you know, it will go bananas on you when you jump in, in these temperatures. And so you have to interact with it and you have to slow it down and you do that with the breath. You just notice what happens to your breath when you hop into cold water, you know, <laughs> so you, you can calm it down. And so, yeah, Marcel's been in my ice bath. I take people from four degrees to minus four degrees in four weeks. That's my course. Um, okay. And, you know, it's it's so interesting to watch how people interact with it. Like it actually starts before they even open the freezer and have a look at it. You know, the, the anxiety kicks in, the limitations, the belief system, self-doubt you know, the anxiety that builds, but then you show them that, you know, you can do it, you know, you know, whim, you know, Marcel, they're amazing humans doing amazing things. And, you know, some people can sometimes think that they're superhuman or something, but, you know, you bring them here and I, I, I show them how to do it. They hop in and they're doing minus four degrees for like three to five minutes. It's really cold minus four. Hey, <laughs> and um, you show them that they're not superhuman. They're just trained, they're conditioned, they've worked on it and they understand how to control their nervous systems and they can do it too. And that's what's a beautiful thing is that we can all do it. We just need to know how. And the breath is the first place you start with the cold work. Well, the nice thing 
about that is you're saying we can all do it and it's learning how to do it yeah for me it was like a starting point of learning new tools and techniques of going past limiting beliefs mm. you know uh, so for people listening and you think well what is exposing yourself to cold temperature got to do with ice it's not about that you know for me and this is my interpretation of it whether it's trying to best myself in a lifting record uh, or doing an ultra run or now this is the next challenge and because I hate the cold mm. that's why I'm doing it you know is uh, if you said hey get pr practice to do some powerlifting record I'd actually be like yeah cool because I like that and for me yeah. it's not the same thing but yeah. when you see people uh, go past that limiting belief for the first time you know that they can go in and they're delighted and they're happy with themselves that for me I'm like I remember experiencing it for the first time and then watching it be passed on you like you see that penny drop and you see that yeah. person yeah. you see that label that, that has been put on them uh get lifted and you see them kind of go yes and now there's something else that i can do yeah. and that has an incremental improvement not just from there but it goes yeah. and you put your life in order in many many ways and Absolutely. it's one of those things that's hard to explain if you've never experienced it and if you're somebody listening now and you're like what the fuck are those two crazy guys talking about you know it's like go and do it i can't describe it you know but it is it's an empowering feeling and uh, yeah so it's great that you're doing all of that you're giving that opportunity to loads of people yeah well people come you know and you know because the ice is hot at the moment you know excuse the pun um, you know, everyone's doing it, you know, they're doing ice bath all over the place and you know, they come in and they think it's about the ice. And I tell them in the first session, we do four weeks in a row and, you know, we, we sit together for like a couple of hours and we talk about the, you know, about what's going on in the body and you know, really unpack it and look at all aspects of, of it. And I say to them, you know, this has nothing to do with the cold. If you think you're here for the, the ice, you know, that's, yes, it's going to be cold. Yes, there's ice in the, in the tubs, but it's nothing to do with the ice. It's to do with how you can control your nervous systems, which is a direct reflection of your life. You know, how you're dealing, you know, if you can't deal with the, the stress of the, the cold, you're probably not dealing as well as you could with the stresses of life. And so if your anxiety kicks in, and you can't even let yourself hop in that tub. You're holding yourself back. Where else are you doing in your life? You know, and so this is what I love. And you, yeah, people come and they're all shapes and sizes. I've had 70 year olds in the tub, you know, in minus four, seven year olds. You know, I've had, you know, mom do it and to realize how strong they actually are. You know, and that's what I love about doing that this, this, this course, running people through it, is that you get to see that. You get to see those labels get ripped off and just go, hey, I'm doing, you know, minus four degrees. There's not that many people around the world doing, you know, consistently minus four, minuses. You know, everyone's, you know, their ice bath. Is, we run somewhere you know maybe two to ten degrees minus four it's just like you rock star and i love it <laughs> <laughs> question what um what what would you put forward as a starting point that someone could adopt to start making these bigger changes but, you know so for somebody that just wants to get started at changing their current reality and bring them to this well maybe they don't even know what their desired one is but what would be something fundamental you could say start here yeah yeah really good question um the big one is why do you want to do it you know before you do anything before you start breathing before you start you know changing your diet or anything like why are you doing it why do you want to change you know find your why and whether that's because you've had, you know, a diagnosis of cancer is a really big why to change your life, you know, but you know, if you haven't got that, you know, what is, what is your why? You know, a lot of people struggle to be able to put them, put themselves first, you know, to prioritize themselves and their health. 
know, human behavior dictates, you know, how much do you value yourself? The things you value most in life, you spend your time, your effort, your money on. So how much do you actually value yourself or your health? Um, so really understanding why you want to do it and you know, getting to that point where you're doing it for the right intention. You know, not doing it because the doctor said so or your husband or your wife said that, hey, you need to lose some weight, honey, or whatever it is. It's doing it for the right reasons. Um, and then, you know, I usually start people, you know, with the, the basics, you know, how, how you're eating. You know, you can make some really minor changes and it can have a dramatic impact on your, your diet, you know, how you're breathing. You know, you're going to breathe anyway. You might as well breathe better um, so you can change that really easily. You know, how you're sleeping. You know, we all sleep every single night for, you know, eight to 10 hours, whatever it is that we sleep. Um, are we actually sleeping well? You know, are we moving well? So are we keeping this body that likes to move? Are we actually giving it that opportunity or are we living these sedentary lives? Um, and then my other big pillar of health is how we stress, the stuff that we've just been talked about. Do we have some stress skills? But, you know, the biggest thing is why are you doing it? You've got to have the intention right. The intent, if the why is there, the how is easy, that old chestnut. Yeah, wasn't it uh, Nietzsche who said, hey, if you can figure out your why, your how will unfold itself along the way? Yeah, I can't so, remember. Yeah, yeah, I don't know the origin of it, but it's a good one. Yeah, but that's the yeah that, that that's the important thing. So, figure out your why and any particular habit you'd say start off on incorporating to help through that process of figuring out why. Into figuring out why, um, I think it's you know to be able to ask that question, we need to create space for that question to be asked. You know, and then we lead the lead these really busy lives where we're getting up or having that quick shower and brushing our teeth and running out the door with a you know with breakfast to drive in now if we don't have space in our lives then we can't contemplate this stuff so we have to you know create some space you know that environment that i you know had to i learned the hard way i had to create an environment that was conducive to getting well so if you want to get healthier is the environment conducive to it and the first step is maybe create a bit of space within your life to actually be able to then develop a self-care routine and even just, just to start asking these questions. You know, why do I want to do this and what's my next step? And that might just be just to you know, set a time on your phone and start breathing slower and deeper for 10 minutes a day. That might be your start. You know, that snowballing effect, just start with little baby steps and then you know, it's like a snowball. It will start small and it will slowly grow and grow and gain momentum of itself. And then you start feeling better, so you put more effort in. Um, I think the worst thing you can do is go like a bull at a gate and just make all these changes all at once and just focus on one thing. And if that's just breathing better, but slow it down, start breathing through the nose. And that's what it's designed for. Breathe slower, breathe less, you know, breathe gentler um, into the diaphragm. So your belly breathing and train yourself to do that. That's a great first start you know, without, and it's free, which is awesome. <laughs> so start with figuring out your why. Take some breaths, create some space, let something nice. new come in. Everybody, it's Eddie Enover. He's naturopath, three-time survivor of cancer, all-around excellent human being. And be sure to check out, check him out in the link in the description of this podcast. Eddie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I uh, absolutely loved it. Thank you for the opportunity, Keelan.